heathens. Hi, heathens. Welcome to the Witchery Podcast. I'm Jess. I'm Eliza. And this week, we're looking at The Conjuring. Yay. Oh, that is such a good film. Um, lots of spooky shits. It's, it's such a suspenseful story. It's really, really fantastic. It's just so good, isn't it? And the acting is so good. Because obviously, often for these kind of, you know, typical sort of paint-by-numbers ghost paranormal stories, you can get a little bit of hokey acting. But everyone in this is just brilliant. And what's also so fantastic is that it's paired back like quite a lot. I mean, it's a 2013 movie. Um, and if you look at, if you think of other movies around the same time, um, it kind of stood out because it was so paired back and so like back to basics when it came to telling a ghost story as opposed to like, you know, I don't know, what what else was out there during the time? I, I, I want to say like your, your, your shock horror stuff, like I've just drawn a blank. I can't think. Oh, I think it's a lot of kind of like the Saw sequels were coming out. Yes. And so it was the aftermath, wasn't it? Just a few years after things like Hostel and yes. yeah, and sort of grotesque slashes. And I'm sure wasn't that around the time they did the remake of The Evil Dead? And they made that I think it was. more gory. And yeah, yeah, it was um definitely sort of there was a period, wasn't there, from the sort of mid to late two thousands to about the mid twenty tens, where it was just gore spectacular, body horror, full on body gore, let's chop your limbs off and I'm gonna torture you to death. Which I never find as scary as the things you don't see in the dark. But that's Agreed. just grotesque to me. It's just, I, I don't like, I'm not a body horror fan. I will watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre and enjoy it because there was some, you know, some added little eccentricities to it. I certainly don't get the fascination with things like a Serbian film, if you've ever seen that. I think a Serbian film and The Kill List was at a similar time, but The Kill List is brilliant. Ben Wheatley, The Kill List, fantastic, slightly culty horror film set in the UK. But a Serbian film was out a similar time it was sort of at the end of the 2000s and that was grotesque it was all sort of exploitation that's the word i'm looking for exploitation porn yeah i'll watch a horror film i will i will never turn down a horror film i'll watch everything and i generally do but when it's people being cut to shreds i'm like oh for, give it a fucking rest really really is that all you've got Ooh, i'm gonna cut her tits off brilliant oh absolutely genius but then you watch something <laughs> but then you watch something like possession from the 1980s sorry cutting the tits off I don't know where that came from a bit grotesque. I know where that came from I know where that came from I watched uh, oh no that came from a fr- that doesn't even that's not even horror I just realized that came from that French tv series spiral I watched recently someone had their tits cut off <laughs> <laughs> a dead corpse no but it's like um there's so many f- you, you sort of see all this stuff and you think i don't find this scary i find something like suspiria quite unnerving the original dario argento mm. like a dario argento where you just see the killer's hand but you don't see all of the gore and stuff it's more the the, the, the terror of what's coming or possession that one with isabella jani and sam neil it, it's so unsettling i like being unsettled I don't like body horror. Because yeah. that's the thing. I mean, the, the stuff you can't see, um, it, it just, it's so much more suspenseful. Um, it's because your imagination is just so powerful. And then like you make all these leaps and assumptions and you scare the shit out of yourself because you don't know what it is that you see. It's like Insidious. I loved oh, Insidious yes. right up until the point where you saw the demon. And then I was like, okay, cool. Well, that was fun. It's like, okay, cool. Well, now what? <laughs> I mean, I still love um, Insidious anyway. Still a great film. Yes, great series Still of fantastic. Films. But yeah, I know. I think it is exactly what you say. It's the unnerving aspect of your, it's how it affects your imagination. Rosemary's Baby 
as as much as it people I don't think it's dated, but as much as people say it's dated, I don't actually think it is dated. I think it's phenomenal. But it is that absolute foreboding sense of terror of she doesn't know what's going on. No one believes her. She's pregnant. She's having all had all these odd visions, but obviously they weren't visions. She's suspicious and paranoid. It's very much psychological. Yeah. It's I I, I definitely prefer being unsettled and unnerved. Yeah. And um it's actually plays quite well into what we're talking about tonight when it comes to, you know, the conjuring, because I mean, who doesn't love a good ghost story? And that's what all good ghost stories do is they unsettle you. The conjuring universe is huge. There are so many films in the Conjuring universe. I mean, you have the Conjuring series, the Conjuring, the Conjuring 2, the Conjuring, the devil made me do it, which we will hopefully get sometime this year. <gasps> oh, we got to get it in June. What about South Africa? June, are you getting it the same time in South Africa? Hopefully. Hopefully. Who's <laughs> at this point? <laughs> um, will COVID stop that too? No, we're definitely getting it in the UK in June. I'm trying to get my dates right. I think it's like June the 12th. Something like that. But the trailer looks awesome. Just in time for your birthday. I know, right? Birthday treat for moi. Birthday treat for you as well. We're both June babies, by the way, guys. Geminis. Don't know how you feel about that. <laughs> two, Gem- <laughs> two Geminis presenting a podcast. <laughs> Is that a good idea? Not sure. But, but horror. Like, if, if two <laughs> Geminis can't do it, then who the fuck can? Oh, right? Exactly. Exactly. But yeah, oh, that's going to be a good one. But yeah, what else is there in the Conjuring universe? Annabelle. Annabelle, Annabelle Creation, Annabelle Comes Home. There's the Nun series. Um, There's the Curse of La... I can't speak. The Curse of La Lorena, The Crooked Man. There's um, short films, The Nurse, The Confession, What's Wrong With Mom, Blunt's Lullaby, and Innocent Souls. So... There's a whole bunch in the Conjuring universe. I had no idea. It's it's quite vast and expanding all the time. The Conjuring universe is a series of films inspired by the real-life cases of Ed and Lorraine Warren, the renowned American paranormal investigators and authors. This is quite, they're kind of quite funky, aren't they? From the films, they seem like they're very Christian. They're a little bit, you know, a little bit unusual when they've got a bit of an odd setup at home. Something a bit a bit strange about them. Very strange. And what I didn't know, and, and um, I discovered when I was researching, was that um, over their career, they claim to have investigated over 10,000 supernatural cases. Wow. Wow. Oh, holy and hell. That's, <laughs> quite, that's quite a number. Um, I didn't even realize there were 10,000 supernatural occurrences. That's that's unnerved me. Lord. <laughs> Two people investigating them. My God, how many others were there? Wow. Oh, they must yeah. have been busy. How did th- how did two people in? Well, I want to hear the story about them, but how did two people get to do that many? Well, it wasn't just them. They started a, a, a society. Sorry, I'm just scrolling through my notes to get to the name of the society, which we'll, we'll cover in a bit. Oh, sorry, no, I didn't no, mean I to can't. jump ahead. No, I can't no. find it. Don't. We're going to get to this, oh, guys. This is just yeah. me, me just jumping in as usual, being one of those very <laughs> annoying nosy bitches who just wants everything laid out. I'm, I'm a YouTube generation person now, officially. Instant, gra- instant gratification. Yeah, give me the info now, bitch. Um, so yeah, so over 10,000 supernatural cases, um, what was interesting was they never charged to investigate. Well, they never charged the people they were investigating, but they made, they made their money through book deals and film rights. Oh, so that's nice. So they're like, they're they're giving, they're sharing the wealth. Well, they're not sharing their wealth, but you know, they're sharing their wealth of knowledge and then they get paid through 
film and TV rights for selling the stories. Clever and people. lectures and, and all of that. And also um, the Amityville series as well is from their case files, but it's separate to The Conjuring. So The Conjuring franchise has been quite successful. It's uh, grossed a combined $1.9 billion. Holy shit, um, it's like Star Wars. Slots. Slot, um, which uh, against a combined budget of $139.5 million, um, it's actually not that bad. It's the second highest grossing horror fran- franchise ever behind Godzilla. Wow. Whoa, that's a surprising one. I didn't realize Godzilla was such a high, a high earning franchise. You'd expect like, I don't know, Freddy or um, Scream or... Yeah, Scream franchise, surely. Yeah, uh, p- apparently Godzilla. I did not realize that a giant lizard would overtake a man with knives for fingers or like Scream face. That's strange. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. There you go. Go lizards. Go lizards. So for this podcast, we're going to focus on the first conjuring. Um, just because there's just way too much to actually, you know, we'll, we'll be like, we could do a series on the Conjuring universe by itself, but you know, we're doing one podcast on the Conjuring. Um, <laughs> we don't have 50 hours right now. No, sadly not. Um, I'd like talking, but not that much. <laughs> I'd have to put you on a drip or something by the end of it. Your voice box, your vocal cords would just be in shreds. Maybe, maybe I'll actually have less of like a little girl's voice then and, have like a sexy husky like little bit of vocal fry or something no you've got a beautiful voice you don't have a little girl's (laughs) voice you've got a beautiful feminine voice beautiful voice yay for not smoking definitely so the conjuring is a 2013 film directed by james wan written by chad hayes and carrie w hayes patrick wilson and vera um farmiga Farmiga. am i saying that right Farmiga, yeah, Vera Farmiga. Oh, is it Farmiga? Vera Farmiga, Farmiga. I think. Farmiga. Don't trust me with anything. Oh, she's, she's, she's beautiful. Well, we've already established that I can't pronounce anything. So. <laughs> and I'm a runner-up in that category. Oh, she's awesome actress. She's so good. She's fantastic. She's just so strong in everything. And she's always very, very calm as well. She's one of those people that's very still. And I mean that in an entirely complimentary way. You can't take your eyes off her. Mm. She's captivating. And um, her and, and Patrick has- Wilson. Together Gio. as Ed and Lorraine Warren are just amazing. Um, the perfect year. So it was released by Warner Bros. Pictures and New Line Cinema and um, received positive reviews from critics. Um, and it grossed over 319 million rand, a million rand, 319 million dollars <laughs> worldwide against its um, rather small um, 20 million dollar budget that is a nice bit of cash in the pocket isn't it bit of ghosties yep ghosties making the making the so moolah quite a successful movie if you look at it that way love it yeah so what's it about so roger and carolyn peron uh, moved to an isolated farmer's house in harris harrisville Rhode Island with their five daughters. Their five da- daughters are Andrea, Nancy, Christine, Cindy, and April. There was a lot going um, on in that household. With a Catholic, do you think? Oh, they must be. Um, so they move into a new home in 1971. Uh, their dog, Sadie, straight up refuses to go into the house. Um, also, there's a very eerie looking boarded up cellar. The spooky shit in the movie starts happening almost immediately. All of the clocks stop at exactly 3.07 a.m. Oh. Birds fly into the windows. Puss Sadie is found dead in the backyard. One night, Christine encounters a malevolent spirit only she can see, prompting her to claim that the spirit wants to hold her me dead. Another night, Carolyn hears clapping in the hallway. 
she goes to investigate and she gets trapped in the basement. While she's trapped in the basement, Andrea and Cindy are attacked in their bedroom by a spirit believed to be the one Christine saw earlier. Um, so lots of lots of really unsettling, spooky shit happening. Poor Sadie. Can we spare a moment for the poor dog? Why is it animals always bear the brunt of paranormal shit or like psycho killer shit? The, the animals always get it. What kind of a sadist are you? Leave the animals and the kids alone. Get the people, fair enough. Leave animals and kids out of it. Agreed. Poor Sadie. Anyway, mm. uh, moving on. So Caroline gets hold of demonologists Ed and Lorraine Warren, who have recently just investigated a creepy-ass possessed doll called Annabelle. Oh, yes. Bring it back round. Conjuring universe. Um, so the Warrens go through to the farm. They con- they conduct an initial investigation and conclude that the house probably needs an exorcism. But they have to get authorization from the Catholic Church and they need further evidence before uh, for this before they can proceed. Um, Ed and Lorraine discover that the house once belonged to an accused witch named Bathsheba Sherman. Great name. Okay, so Bathsheba. If you're going to have and a ghost like in your house, she's got to be a Bathsheba, hasn't she? She's got to have like some strong kind of powerful old school name, Bathsheba or Griselda or something, Esmeralda. Like she needs a big, big ass name. Just reminds me of that thing where it's like, you know, um, why is it that houses are always haunted by like ghosts from like the 1800s or whatever, like your Bathshebas? Why isn't it ever, you know, a, a ghost from like the 90s saying, it's Britney, bitch. Uh, yeah, why is it that you never just see a Vanilla Ice fan? Why, like, a Vanilla Ice fan from the 90s never just pops into your room, you know, singing Ice Ice Baby? So, Bathsheba, um, so she sacrificed her weak old child to the devil Ooh. and killed herself in 1863 at 3.07 in the morning after cursing all who would take her land. So they find reports of numerous murders and suicides in houses that were built on the property. Um, the Warrens put up cameras and bells everywhere to get evidence. Um, Bathsheba's creepy ass pops up again and possesses Carolyn. Um, lots of spooky shit happens. The Warrens record it, take it to Father Gordon for permission to do an exorcism. They do the exorcism and lift the curse and the Warrens return home and get a message for another case. So... No, quite a lot happening in the movie. It's fucking spooky as shit. The Warrens yeah. kicking ass. It's it it is a really really great movie. Um, and apart from all the spooky stuff happening on like film on screen, there was also spooky stuff that happened on set. <gasps> Joey King, who played Christine, ended up covered in strange bruises all over her body. After just a couple of weeks of shooting, she wasn't doing any stunts um, and nothing happened that could have actually caused the bruises. Oh, that's weird. Now, yeah, I mean, she's a kid. Kids get bruises all the time. I'm an overgrown kid. I'm usually fucking covered in bruises. And I have a kid who's also, I don't know, he's a boy child. So it isn't exactly spooky, but Patrick Wilson likes telling this as an anecdote during presses for the film. So nice PR angle there. When they were filming, curtain drapes on the soundstage moved by themselves. Vera um, Farmiga was unable to sleep through the night and would wake up every night between 3 and 4 a.m. That's horrible. Like yeah. the film? Like the film, during the witching hour. Mm. Um, Vera also had strange digital claw marks on her computer screen. And then when the film wrapped, she woke up and to find three claw marks on her thigh. So really weird, really spooky shit. What? 
that's horrendous. Again, like we weren't there, so we can't actually say whether or not it was true, but it's just. Well, she's not going to make it up. She's Vera Farmiga. Like she's got a reputation to uphold. She's not going to make that shit up. If she says she's had claw marks, I believe she had claw marks. But it's. What's really strange is that they were first on her computer screen and then on her thigh. It was apparently very similar. Um, and I find that quite eerie and quite freaky. And she got a cat, though. I mean, if she had a cat, we've got the answer. Yeah, because house goblins are... That's all you have to say. It's just fucking house goblins. Yeah. Um, also, there are there were reports of an apparent water poltergeist from, from one of the writers. Um, not on set, but at his home. Water? A poltergeist yes. in water? Yes. So... His wife kept on saying that there was like this strange spill at the house and it kept on coming back and it was like really, really odd shape. And no matter what they did, this odd water puddle kept returning. And um, the writer actually spoke to Lorraine Warren and she was like, no, no, it's a, it's a water poltergeist and it's <laughs> probably attached, attached itself to, you know, your teenage kid because teenage angst is a thing. Um, and that's what poltergeists do, don't they? They usually attach themselves to to teenagers or to younger kids. Um, so they yeah, do. So that was fun. But yeah. I've never heard of one coming out of a tap. Was it damp, maybe? I wonder if it was damp, condensation. Apparently not. Initially, they thought it was the dog um, having accidents inside, but then they realized it wasn't the dog because it was a puddle that formed in the same spot all the time. Not a leaking um, pipe. <laughs> not a leaking pipe. Uh, so they, they went about all the logical things, couldn't find what the reason was. Um, the writer spoke to Lorraine Warren and she was like, well, it sounds like you got yourselves a water pot poltergeist. Oh, Never yeah. Never heard of a water poltergeist before. So it must, it, it's logical. It must be. If you're not, it's like having a dust demon. Everywhere, everywhere you go, there must be a poltergeist. Must be. Must be. Okay, so... The Conjuring is based on a true story. You've heard it's from the Warren's case files. Um, and a lot of the case files ha- were published or made into films. And this is one of those. Um, so the Conjuring movie had been in the works for over 20 years, ever since paranormal investigator Ed Warren played producer Tony Durasso Grant a tape of his interview with Carolyn Perron um, that he'd recorded during his first visit to the farmhouse. So the producer in turn, recorded Ed Warren playing the tape at the end. At the end, DeRosa Grun's recording, you can hear him saying, if we can't make this into a film, I don't know what we can. He can also be heard discussing his idea for the movie with Ed. Um, and then shocktaildrop.com actually has a quote from the producer saying, it was either black or white, either this woman had severe mental problems, which she didn't, or she was literally scared to death, which she was. Oh, my God. That's horrible. So a lot of the information we're about to get into is, is from Andrea's book. Now, Andrea is the oldest of the five girls. Um, in 2011, she self-published her family story in three parts called House of Darkness, House of Light. Good title. It is, it is a good title. So there is a lot... Of, of a backstory here, but I think it, it provides nice context to who the, the parents were um, and the type of shit that they were going through. Um, and, you know, backstory context is always great. So Roger and Carolyn Perron bought a small house in the suburbs for their family. It was a Cape Cod-style house um, with a big backyard in Cumberland, Rhode Island. Andrea was about 10 at the time. 
Um, the family was given a puppy. It was an African Basanji. Carolyn said that it was an unusual dog, so it needed an unusual name. And she thought for a bit, and the name Bathsheba just came to her. <gasps> she called the dog Bathsheba. Oh, wow. That's really, that's a bit of a random name thought for a dog. You normally choose like Rover or Spot or something, something a bit more befitting a little, little pooch. Bathsheba. <laughs> Bathsheba. And this is before they'd moved into the farmhouse. This was like a year or so before, which is really, really spooky. Oh, that is creepy as fuck. So unfortunately, the poor pup was killed in a really horrendous accident. And (gasps) it left left poor Andrea really traumatized. Um, A little while after this, the family went on vacation. Uh, Roger's mom came by the house to look after the kitties because they had kitties. They had two Siamese cats and two ferals. Nice. Um, After a few days away, the family came back and they came back to a really, really grisly scene. Um, Andrea's beloved cat, Scrunch, was found dead. (gasps) But like, not just dead, like murdered and mutilated. Somebody murdered Um, the cat? Her tiny kitty skull had been crushed and she'd had been bludgeoned to death. Um, The house was completely ransacked. The freezer in the basement was opened and gasoline was poured all over the food. Um, Of the other cats, one was found outside. Um, So Scrunch's mom was found outside in the bushes and then the two Siamese cats were gone. (gasps) Oh my God, they killed a cat and wrecked the house. So much trauma that these poor little kids have had to go, go through already. Do they know um, who did that? Like, was it just 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 passers by? Was it burglars? Like, was it somebody who had a vendetta against them? Do they know who did that? The neighbor's son. Well, it's suspected the neighbor's son. What? Um, yes, the neighbor's son was seen watching the family um, from his bedroom window. Fucking Chucky child. Yep. Oh my god. So. It actually turned out that this little shit just was the perpetrator and he just decided that he wanted to break into their house and while they were away and cause chaos just because he could. Um, I hope they kept an eye on him though because kids who kill animals turn out like a lot of the time to be serial killers. So this could like be an episode of like morbid podcast in years to come of like this guy, this was the first thing he did. It's a pity we don't know who this kid actually was. Um, (gasps) Maybe that's an investigation for next week. Maybe. Maybe, um, yeah, but anyway, dis- disturbing shots. So the police called, but not much was done. Um, Carolyn really didn't feel safe in her home anymore. She wanted to move. Um, she broached the subject to Roger a few times. Um, her dream was to move to the country, but they just bought their current home and they couldn't afford to sell it and move. Oh, no. Things with the neighbor's son and his gang of young reprobates only escalated. Um, so they, like Andrea wanted revenge for her kitty, for poor, poor little scrunch, and she did like corner one of them and ambush and beat the living snot out of this kid. So good for her. Um, good for her. Hell yeah. But then, revenge, yeah. Your, avenge your cat. Always avenge your De- cat. Definitely. She was like, par- like um, I'd read that there were reports, uh, well, I, I read in the book that she just wasn't the same afterwards. She became quite an angry little girl. Um, not surprising. That's quite a lot for a little kid to go through. 
Um, also, apparently, there was a young girl um, tied up on the playground and was almost um, sexually assaulted in the same neighborhood. Um, <gasps> I don't know if it was the same kids, but, you know, really, like, really, really bad stuff started happening. I'm pointing um, all my 10 fingers, including my two thumbs, at that guy and his yep. gang of shitbags. So unsurprisingly, Carolyn did not let her daughters out of out of her sight. Um, she escorted, like she'd take them to school. She would like, you know, make sure that she could always see her kids, understandably because of all the shit happening. Um, so she took Andrea to her music lessons and while waiting for her daughter to finish up, she bought a newspaper. Skimming through it later, um, she saw a listing for an old farm in a small uh, country town of Harrisville in Rhode Island. On a whim, she called the estate agents. I don't know, like, do you guys have estate agents or is it realtors? Are we in the UK estate agents, yeah. Okay. Yeah. In America, I suppose it's, you know, realtors. Yeah, they have got so many different different methods of buying and selling houses. I always find it really confusing. Very confusing. What is a realtor anyway? Anyway, I suppose it's, I don't know. Anyway, I, yeah. moving on. <laughs> Americans out there, explain the, explain the difference. <laughs> um, so she arranged to go see the place the very next day. She drove a few hours to Harrisville Bolt to see the place. And when she saw it, she was completely in love with the 1730s farmhouse. It sat on an impressive 200 acres had lots of trees, it had a creek, hell of a lot of space for five energetic kids. What do you think? Like you'd go for it, wouldn't you? Yep, sounds like a dream. Um, she loved it so much, she paid the realtor holding deposits, um, phoned her bestie and told her bestie she'd bought the place. Um, thing is, Roger was away on business and she didn't exactly tell him that she was going to look at a place or that she bought a place. So he came home and was like, oh, surprise. Surprise, honey. How was your business trip? I bought a house while you were away. Oh, my word. That... We're moving to the country. <laughs> Things you need to discuss with your spouse 101 <laughs> when you buy a house when they're away. Hear me. That's something you don't spring on your partner. I certainly wouldn't do that. That would be, that would be bonkers. So, like, I, I'm including a lot of this context because I think it's important to provide like um, a glimpse into the family's mental state when they eventually do move to the farm because they're not exactly in a happy space as it is now you know things aren't all like psychologically sound <laughs> um, lots of trauma lots of PTSD and it's like what the 70s so probably lots of unresolved trauma and and shit too. What well, sounds it? I mean, cat being butchered, house being trashed, general narky bastard next door causing problems in the town, then marriage possibly put under threat when wife goes and buys property <laughs> without without discussing it with partner. Um, yeah, I can I can I can see that that's yep. not that's not a stable foundation for a for a good family vibe. Um, so it's you know. You can imagine Roger wasn't exactly impressed with his wife, um, but he drove out to Harrisville with the with the girls. They all made a trip, and he fell in love with the place. So they did whatever they could to actually move there. Um, Carolyn did some modeling work because, um, and she was beautiful. Like I saw some photos of her, and she was beautiful. So she had friends who were photographers, and she did some modeling work to make extra money. The girls 
even chipped in and did what they could by doing chores and stuff for neighbors. And eventually, early in nineteen in the 1970s, the family packed up and moved into the dream home. That's a nice sideline, though, isn't it? Modeling. Just, oh, yeah, I'm just going to do a bit of modeling on the side. Okay. Make a little bit of extra cash. You, 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 you get that butt, girl. You do it. I wish I could do some modeling on the, on the side, get some <laughs> extra cash, easy money. You could. I certainly couldn't after my state being in lockdown for a year. So when they moved in, the old owner was giving Roger the keys. And when he was leaving, he said something to Roger out of earshot from the rest of the family. He said, for the sake of your family, leave the lights on at night. Oh, that's a bit creepy. Just a little bit. Roger didn't think anything of it. Um, honestly, that's some red flag shit right there, but, you know. Well, yeah, considering you're just moving from a house where you've got some sadistic Ted Bundy, you know, in in training, neighbor's son, trashing your place, and then you're going to move somewhere where you also feel unnerved, not the best move. You're, you're supposed to be moving yeah. to an area where you feel safe. <laughs> not- I mean, this is supposed to be their fresh starts um, where they oh, could no. actually, you know, start again. So, yeah, from day one in the farmhouse, um, Carolyn never really felt at home. Well, she never felt warm. She never felt like it was a warm place. Um, she also had it, she also had joint pain. At, at first, she thought it was just from the moving, but it never actually went away. Um, the move happened right in the middle of winter, and there was some severe weather, and their farmhouse was clapboard, so not really well insulated. So she thought that, you know, it's just from the cold, just from the move, it would go away. It really never went away. Um, And then the weeks following the move, shit started to go seriously awry. Animals started acting strangely. The normally lovable cat was constantly nervous and scared. Um, And every single animal that they ever had on their farm, I mean, they lived on the farm for 10 years from dogs to bunnies to cats. They had a drake named Sir Francis. They had a rooster <laughs> named so they George. Had a dra- Sorry, they had a drake called Sir Francis. I love that. Isn't that the best name for a drake, Sir Francis? Yeah. I loved it. Why would I you call it. it anything else? Unless it's Nick. You could have a Nick Drake. That would be cool. Otherwise, it's got to be Sir Francis. Sir Francis, without a doubt. And a rooster. The rooster's name was George. <laughs> I don't know why I find that funny. I love it. George the rooster. <laughs> George the Rooster, Um, they had an Angus bull, they had bunnies, Um, all the animals that they had uh, refused to go into the hallway of the farmhouse, like flat out refused. Um, The house was never warm. It was the middle of winter when they moved in, but regardless, there there was always cold spots in the house. Mm. Then there was a fly infestation. Ew. Yes. You know then there's some weird, serious, satanic shit going down when you've got a load of, like, meat flies. Blech. And in in the book, um, they're described as not being ordinary house flies either. They were, like, weird. They seemed to be possessed evil creatures <laughs> that had their own agenda. Possessed flies? Wow. <laughs> possessed flies with an agenda. What was the agenda? I don't know. Causing chaos? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that just a fly? I always think flies are possessed. They don't seem to know what the fuck they're doing most of the time. These, uh, from from what what I read in the book, they were like, had an agenda where they were like always watching. 
um, <laughs> like had purpose. Whereas flies never seem to like they're they're just there. They're just buzzing about doing their stuff, living their best fly lives. Um, How do you know if a fly is watching you when their eyes are so minute you can't see them unless you're like staring no. right at them? That's how do you like? Oh my god, that fly is giving me evils. Like, how do you know that a fly is giving you a shady look <laughs> or just like watching your every move? That's that's mental. Well, suppose if there's like a fuck ton of flies in your house and they follow you around, then maybe it will feel like they're watching you. Oh my god. Who knows? <laughs> No, I don't like that. Gross, 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 gross. It's bad as having moths in your mouth. It's like your your blooming possession episode where people had moths in their mouths. This one is like they've got flies watching them. What is it about insects causing shit? They're possessed insects. Oh, no. Yeah, there seems to be a theme, yeah. Moths, flies, what's next? Possessed bee wouldn't be great, would it? Because you'd get stung. A, A load of possessed bees would be quite scary. Yeah, but also bees are kind of like... Fluffy and cute looking. Yeah, unless you're allergic to them. Good point. Good point. Or there's like a hundred of them <laughs> all possessed coming at you, ready to sting you in the face. Um, so apart from weird flies, there were strange noises. Um, the pantry door would open by itself, even if even though it was latched. There were some really bad smells. Um, the cellar door would open by itself. After Carolyn had had enough of the freeze, freezing her ass off, she decided to open up one of the boarded-up fireplaces, um, and this seemed to have released something. The cellar door would open by itself, initially just a crack, almost like something was peering around the door to check into the room. This door was notoriously difficult to open, by the way, so it's not like it could have just blo- the wind could have just blown it open or like you know a difference in pressure in between the two rooms or whatever. So it was definitely something opened the door. Um, and whenever the something opened the door, there was an awful stench that came into the parlor um, and it was the smell of death. Um, and the smell happened whenever the cellar door would misbehave. Misbehave. I love it. Naughty door. Naughty door. Carolyn was also attacked. So while she was checking out the barn, a hand scythe um, hurt her shoulder. Um, There was no way that this farming tool just fell off the beam um, where it was either. Um, And from the injuries that Carolyn reportedly suffered, it looked like it was thrown. (gasps) She was the only person in the barn, by the way nasty possessed scythe was it a scythe yep. did you say possessed yeah, scythe. scythe maybe it was all the flies maybe they got together and just thought they'd give her a whack yep that was their evil agenda yeah pick up that scythe group and work also, teamwork on teamwork and on a side note that hand scythe was hanging from the, the the beam that it was hanging from was the very same beam supposed reportedly that Mrs. Arnold, a previous owner, had hung herself from. Oh, wow. That's nasty shit right there. Possessed beam. Oh, my God. We've got possessed flies, possessed scythe, possessed beam. Possessed cellar. Um, and yeah, so I, I, after she opened up the fireplace, not only did the cellar door misbehave, but she was also beaten by a clothes hanger while getting dressed. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> How did that happen? So... 
Um, she was apparently getting um, getting dressed after after having a quick shower. The neighbor popped by, and it was the neighbor. I'm trying to remember exactly what it says in the books, but like she was getting dressed, and then it, it looked like a clothes hanger. Like someone picked it up and just started beating her with it, but there was no one in there with her. It was just her. That's God. That's like a fashion blunder right there. That's not good. Yeah, not good at all. So Carolyn researched the history of the home. She discovered it had been in the same family for eight generations. Many of the those eight generations had actually died under mysterious or horrible circumstances. Some of the children had drowned in a nearby creek. Oh no! Someone. Yeah, it's always tragic when it's children. Definitely, it really is. Um, someone was murdered. A few, a few of the family members had hanged themselves, like Mrs. Arnold. Um, so there's a lot of really tragic, really sus, really dodgy deaths, um, which usually, you know, creates spurts. And boy, oh boy, did the farmhouse have a lot of spurts. It sounds it. I don't want to go near that farmhouse, thank you. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go in and have a scythe thrown at me by a load of possessed flies and I want to be beaten up by a hanger <laughs> I'll stay out of the barn it's fine what about a clothes I hanger you've got to stay away from clothes hangers next death by fashion oh no this is just bad um, so a lot of the spirits are actually quite harmless uh, but there were a few very very angry ones so there's a spirit of a little girl who'd cry all night um, there oh, was the friendly spirit it's quite that's that's quite sad yeah that's children. also also quite freaky well i have to say i do find ghost children scarier than ghost adults there's just something there's like an extra creepy vibe when it's a ghost child oh without a doubt don't like ghost children nope 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 definitely not um there was also the friendly spirit of manny so manny was <laughs> who's manny <laughs> hey manny, manny was Manny was um, just a, a spirit who was kind of like a, a benevolent spirit that watched over the family. Two of the girls actually saw him when they moved in. Um, he was often seen just like, you know, watching the family with like a bemused expression on his face. He was quite <laughs> quite a friendly spirit. So better than the flies watching them. They were happier with the spirit watching them than they were with the flies. And the little ghost, ghost girl. Um there was one of the spirits actually liked listening to a certain type of music and would change the radio station if they didn't like the music. Um, <laughs> a discerning ghost, a music connoisseur yep. ghost. I love it. Um, another spirit liked the kitchen in a particular way and would move things around. This family is full of very particular picky people, isn't it? They're a picky family. My way or the highway. My way or I haunt your ass. Or maybe it's it's a case of they don't know that they're dead and maybe they think that they're the ones being haunted. Like, you know, <gasps> the, others. the others. Yeah, could be. Could be. I mean, there, there were the Baker boys as well um, who seemed completely oblivious to anyone else. They'd apparently like just be on the, the landing or by the stairs or whatever. Um, and the angriest, foulest spirits, Bathsheba Sherman. Oh, even her name. Bathsheba. Well, there's nothing wrong with Sherman. <laughs> I know a comedian called Lenny Sherman. Hi, Lenny. Um, he's a great guy. But no, Bathsheba, no thanks. So Bathsheba was born in Rhode Island as Bathsheba Thayer. Thayer. Thayer? T-H-A-Y-E-R? Thayer? 
Thea. Thea, I think. Thea. 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 Um, in 1812. She married Judson Sherman in 1844. Um, Bathsheba was a housewife while her, while her husband farmed the land. She gave birth to a son, Herbert, when she was about 37. Um, some people say the Shermans had other children, but none of her children, none of their children actually survived past the age of seven. Oh man, that's rough. That's yeah, sad. Yeah, that is quite sad. But I mean, it was like 1844, so. A lot of, a lot of child, yeah. yeah. A lot of child deaths. Um, so local legends claimed that Bathsheba Sherman was a witch. There's no hard evidence to support this though. Her name's enough, quite frankly. If you're called Bathsheba, <laughs> you're going to be a witch. Like, you're going to be spooky in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, that, that would just be enough. Agreed. Like, that is a spooky name. Spooky-ass name, Bathsheba. Anyway, so suspicion about her being a witch grew after an infant mysteriously died in her care. The cause of death was found to be a large sewing needle that impaled the base <gasps> of the infant's skull. Oh, that's Oh, that's horrible. That is a grisly, gnarly fucking death. So sorry, well, you said child in her care. Was that her child or somebody else's child she was looking after? They don't actually specify. Oh, um, We know that none of her children um, lived past the age of seven. We don't know if this is her child or not. Um, but anyway, so after this, the townspeople began to speculate that she'd actually murdered the child as an offering to the devil. Oh, man. Satanists again. No thanks. Um, but she was never actually convicted of any wrongdoing. Um, she was also had a reputation how of she starving. Not, how was she not convicted if they thought she was a Satanist? It was probably not enough evidence to actually convict her. For the 1800s, you'd think just being a woman called Bathsheba would be enough. Sorry. Was... What the hell? What's that? I don't know. We're talking about ghosts and, and stuff and... What I could is hear, the noise? I could hear banging. Oh my goodness, is everything okay? <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying to figure out what the hell's going on. So there's one cat. There's the hamster. I think it's the other cat upstairs. It sounds like she's digging. Yeah, she's probably... You know what it is? I've got a carpet on the landing and she likes playing with that. Oh, that's okay. So it's not Bathsheba? No, it's not Bathsheba. It's just the house goblin being a house goblin. But yes, you know, like it's fucking half past nine at night on a Saturday. We're talking about Bathsheba and other fucking ghosts and ghoulies, and all of a sudden there's something that goes bump in the house. And I could yeah. literally hear it through the through Zencaster. I could hear it too. It was so really it was, loud. It was quite loud. Yeah, that's really spooky. <laughs> Bathsheba. Just the cat. It's just you know, the cat. We're accusing her of Satanism and murder, and she's like, nope, not having any of that. Nope, nope, I'm coming to get you. Yeah. Um, so, yes, yeah, so Bathsheba had a reputation for starving and beating the hired farmhands. Oh, she's nice. Um, yeah, so, wonderful, wonderful woman all the way, all, by all accounts. Um, she died in 1885. Good. Um, about four years after her husband. Reports of um, her death include how her body turned to stone when she died. Um, she apparently suffered a rare, a rare type of paralysis. None of this is confirmed, though. Um, mystery still surrounds who she actually was, um, but the Warrens determined that it was her spirit after their in initial investigation on the farmhouse um, and reports from the family of strange pains that reflected 
um, uh, strange pains and and um, wounds that reflected that of a large sewing needle's puncture. <gasps> oh wow, that's yeah. I don't like that. I don't like that. So that was her signature because you know murderers have a signature thing if it's like you know BTK strangling. Or, you know, people who just go and decapitate people and shit like that. So this was her MO, a a sewing needle to the back of the head. A sewing needle. Uh, Sewing needles, like, they can be fucking dangerous weapons. Well, it's it's a blade, no matter how small, going through your brain. It's going to do something. It just makes me think of um, Terry Pratchett with the... um, What, did he put sewing needles through people's brains? No, no, but there's the, um, is is it Mrs. Palmer of the Seamstress Guild? And she's got the bag with with, um, sewing needles in that she uses as a weapon to protect her her girls. Oh, see, I'm a terrible person. I don't read Terry Pratchett. Tsk, tsk, tsk. I don't know how we're friends. Sorry. I feel I've let you down. I'm actually so shocked. I'm speechless. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I'm practically remedial. I think probably the worst witch is kind of intellectual heights of sophistication for me right now. Terry Pratchett's probably way too out there for my brain, (laughs) my lockdown brain that can only deal with, you know, selling Sunset and and other kind of awful reality shows. I think I need to watch it. Again, as a a palate cleanser when we're finished with ghost stories um, before bedtime, so no nightmares, I'll go watch Selling Sunset. Anyway, so Carolyn reached out to the Warrens um, when all the spooky shit went down on the farm. So over the 10 years that the, uh, uh, that the family lived on the farm, the Warrens investigated quite a few times. During one of their investigations, they performed a seance in an attempt to contact the spirits that were possessing and harassing the family. During the seance, Carolyn was possessed. Um, she spoke in tongues. She rose from the ground in her chair. Andrea saw all of this, and she um, said that she thought she was going to pass out. She said that um, my mother began to speak a language not of this world in a voice not of her own. Her chair levitated, and she was thrown across the room. So unlike them in the movie, Ed doesn't actually perform an exorcist. Um, Roger kicks the warrants out, though, and um, that was it. He was rather worried about his wife at this point. He was really worried about her mental health and her health in general. And the fact and she levitated across the room and was talking in tongues. Yeah. I'd be more worried about that <laughs> than anything else. Yep. Um, and the Warrens weren't ever allowed back on the farm. Well, you, you, you kind of can understand why. If they turn up and everything goes batshit crazy, you would kind of be like, mm, is it something to do with you? Maybe you should just not come back here. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> you've made them, yeah. You've made them angry. You've made my mum levitate and get thrown across the room. So no, mm-hmm. I, can, I can completely understand why. Okay, so we've mentioned Ed and Lorraine, but who were they? They were demonologists. Um, so Edward Warren Minnie was born in September um, 1926, and he died 23 August 2006. His wife, Lorraine Rita Warren, was born on the 31st of January 1927, and she died in April 2019. Oh, she lived a good long life. She did. And how sweet is this? The two of them met when they were just 16. Oh, true love. True teenage love. They were teenage sweethearts. 
That's so sweet. That's adorable. That's cute. Teenage sweethearts and then ghost hunters. It's a love story as old as time. A love story across dimensions, <laughs> across paranormal dimensions. <laughs> that's quite cute. No, genuinely, that's actually really quite heartwarming. In yeah, amongst the possessions cute. and the the you know stabbing babies in the back of the head with with needles, that's actually quite heartwarming. Yeah, yes, a little bit of love to you know. Warm the cobbles of, of your heart or my heart. Like <laughs> your heart that's turned know. to stone if you're like that. <laughs> so Ed was a self-taught and self-professed demonologist, author, and lecturer. Lorraine was a clairvoyant and a light trance medium. I always um, love when people are self-taught. You're always like, oh, okay, you taught yourself. Interesting. Uh, being a self-taught uh, medium, psychologist, whatever. Interesting. A self-taught demonologist. I'm, I'm not sure that there is any other way besides self-taught. I mean, is there like a demonology school? There must be. There must be a course in it. Come on. There's enough need for it in this world right now. <laughs> Clearly. If they had 10,000 cases to get through just between them, God knows there must be more worldwide. Maybe like the Catholic Church has like a demonology center we don't know about. Maybe the Clearly. Satanic Temple could set this up. This is another reason we can contact the Satanic Temple. Set up. A school of demonology or like a secret society from like um like buffy buffy the vampire slayer yeah why not yeah yeah why not every time you say buffy now i keep thinking of steph's cat <laughs> <So> <laughs> my friend steph has a cat a beautiful cat called buffy so every time i hear buffy i do think cat oh no the tv series oh but she is beautiful she is and that's the buffy best name for gorgeous. a cat is the best name for a cat alongside attila and duchess best name for a cat Attila the Fluff who is staring fixedly at the hamster anyway so in 1952 (laughs) lunch so in 1952 the Warrens founded the New England Society for Psychic Research the NESPR which is the oldest ghost hunting group in New England during their career they investigated over 10,000 cases as mentioned previously their most Infamous cases that they investigated are Annabelle, Amityville, the the Enfield Poltergeist, um, Cheyenne Johnson, the Snedeca House, um, the Small Family, and Union Cemetery. Um, Even though they made use of specialists, including medical doctors, researchers, police officers, nurses, college students, and members of the clergy in the investigations, they never charged. Um, they made their money off of doing lectures, publishing books, and selling film rights. That's decent, quite though. Cool. Well, yeah. you know, obviously they make a lot out of the entertainment industry. Good for them. <laughs> Get your dollar. But I do like the fact they didn't actually charge the people who were afflicted by the paranormal yeah. activity. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Oh, I like them. Go, go, Ed and Lorraine, giving it back to society. But you know, we need to we need to keep things balanced because we are skeptics yeah oh yeah but still i am i'm loving the the um generosity oh agreed like without a doubt i think that's amazing um but there were some skeptics involved so perry de angelis and stephen novella investigated the warren's evidence and described it as blarney (laughs) good irish Um, word there i love it I love the word blarney. I'm going to try and work it into more casual conversation just because. I agree. It's a good word to um, drop in. Sadly, I, I think I might have to explain what blarney means though. Anyway. Don't. It's even more fun if you don't explain it. <laughs> 
Um, skeptical investigators Joe Nickel and Benjamin Radford concluded that the um, better-known hauntings, Amityville and the Snedeka family haunting, did not happen and were invented. In a 1997 interview with the Connecticut Post, Steve Novella and Perry DeAngelis investigated the Warrens for the New England Skeptical Society. They found the couple to be pleasant people, but their claims of demons and ghosts to be at best um, tellers of meaningless ghost stories, at worst, dangerous frauds. Um, they paid the $13 for the tour. They looked at all the evidence that the Warrens had for spirits and ghosts in the museum. They watched videos. They looked at the um, at the evidence, and their conclusion was it's all blarney. They found common errors with flash photography. There was nothing evil in the artifacts that the Warrens had collected. And basically, they said that they have a ton of fish stories about evidence that got away. They are not doing good scientific investigation. They have a predetermined conclusion with which they adhere to literally and religiously, according to no, that's um, according to Novella. Um, in response to that, Lorraine, Lorraine Warren said that the problem with Perry and Steve is they don't base anything on a god. Um, to which Novella said. It takes work to do solid critical thinking, to actually employ your intellectual faculties and to come to a conclusion that actually actually reflects reality. That's what scientists do every day and that's what skeptics advocate. So the Warren's Occult Museum is still in operation. It's run by their son-in-law, Tony Spira. Oh, we have to go there. Um, Agreed. We have to go there right after we go to the farm though. So it's home to some of the creepiest, most disturbing objects of all time that uh, the Warrens collected during their career, including Annabelle and the music box from the Perron Farm. Yep, that music box. They've got that too. If you watch the movie. Yep, they do. I want to go see it. And Annabelle. I do. I'm I'm going to be cacking my pants, but I really want to go. I really want to go to that place. Where is it again? Um, Sorry, where was it? So the Warrens um, Museum and Home is in Connecticut. Oh, lovely. Oh, nice place to go as well. Connecticut's beautiful. So we have to go. Okay, so the farm. The original clapboard farmhouse is still standing still there oh it hasn't been pulled down or anything it's still it hasn't been pulled down it's still, still a living there. a living being house <laughs> yep full of spirits um, unfortunately a lot of the land that it stood on because remember it was 200 acres um was sold off by previous owners the current owners Corey and jennifer um Heinzen, bought the house in 2019 and what's really cool is that you can actually pay money to spend a night in the haunted far- farmhouse. It's not a hotel or a B&B. They're doing it for like the experience of staying in one of the most haunted places. Um, and you can stay overnight for like $125 per person. Oh, we're so doing um, that. Come on. Right? We have to. We have to. We have to. I love it. Uh, you know, so pimp, pimp out your haunted farmhouse. It's, we we have to go. We have to go to the to this farmhouse, and we also have to go to Lizzie Borden's house too. That's oh, gotcha. a, a B now, so we have to do that. Yeah, Lizzie Borden and her axe giving her mother forty wax. Yeah, we, we you know what? we should just do a spooky tour of the states, and then do a spooky tour of of the UK. Um, I, I think, think that's there's... the next podcast. <laughs> We need yes. to set up a separate podcast. I love that idea. I would totally. Oh God, I'd love that. A haunted tour. It sounds the world. like so much fun. 
Oh my God. We, we'd probably come back possessed though. By the end of it, <laughs> going to all those places, we'd probably come back quivering, possessed wrecks. It's okay. We'll just take lots of sage with us. There are some things sage probably can't fix. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can only go so far. So now the new owners um, said that they've experienced some spooky stuff, but there's nothing sinister. Um, oh, I like the way they've said that. They've said it just enough to get people to go and stay, but like, you're not going to die, but it, it's definitely spooky happenings, but it's not that sinister. So it's like, come and stay, experience the spookiness, but you won't get possessed by Bathsheba. Clever. I like that. That's a good selling, selling target. And also I suppose that if, if they put on their, you know, Airbnb listing that, um, there's tons of possessed evil flies with an, a, an agenda. Um, you might get beaten probably, by a coat hanger. You might get beaten yeah. by a coat hanger. Come and stay. I don't think they'd get like a, a very high rating and lots of people wanting to come, especially the, you know, the flies. Gross. Yuck. And, being beaten by a coat hanger wouldn't be great. Yes. No, definitely. No. Ouch. Kenny Biddle wrote a piece about the farmhouse where he investigated some of the historical claims made over the years by various people. It's a long read, but it's it's quite interesting because he goes into the history of all of the people connected to the farm. Um, so what I thought was interesting was that um, the people who bought the farm from the parents, um, the parents, sorry, the Sutcliffs, they lived there for 18 years. They didn't really experience anything on the level that the, 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 um, that, Aunt, that Carolyn and Roger did. Um, Norma Sutcliffe actually ran a daycare for 20 years in that house. Wait a minute. 18 years running a daycare in there and they never had anything, they never had any experiences. Okay, so they lived there for 20 years and she ran a daycare for 18 years. Um, I read my notes wrong. Yeah, so in that house, there was a daycare in that house. So it couldn't have been that bad if there was a fucking daycare in the farmhouse, right? Yeah, it's a bit sus when somebody lives there for 18 years and doesn't experience, 20 years, sorry, and doesn't experience anything. And somebody comes yeah. in for a few months and suddenly, mm, is it Amityville Horror Mark Two? Who knows? Who knows? Um, in an email conversation with Kenny, uh, Sutcliffe, Sutcliffe actually said, I never said I believe in, believed in ghosts, but I did remark on some sounds, which of course could be explained by natural causes. Um, the house did appear on an episode of the television series uh, Ghost Hunters. Um, it was season two, episode seven. Awesome show. And love Ghost Hunters. And at no point in the episode did Sutcliffe actually claim to have seen ghosts or, be a, or have been attacked by demonic entities as claimed by the parents. Um, in fact, all Sutcliffe and her late husband claimed to have experienced on the show were slight vibrations of the door, a chair, or, or the bed. Um, at the end of the episode, the ghost hunters walked away with a rather unimpressive video of a closet door opening and closing. That's all they got? That's all they got. So no flies, um, no throwing, you know, coat hangers going going bonkers. Yep, and no Bathsheba Sherman. Um, speaking of... Damn, damn you, Bathsheba, what were you doing? Hibernating or just having a laugh watching Netflix? What were you doing? Probably just watching Netflix. Yeah, um, so there's also no historical records that actually support any of the claims that Bathsheba was devil-worshipping, child-sacrificing, murderous woman. Um, and in volume three in a series of books, Andrea Perron actually admits as much. She claims that the evil entity felt in the house was probably Mrs. John um, Arnold, so Susan Arnold. So is the house haunted? The Heinzens claim it is. And since they're letting people stay there for the night, 
I think we should definitely go and check it out for ourselves. Oh, I'm totally up for that. Just even if it's absolute hokum, the fact that it's supposed to be haunted by someone called Bathsheba who killed babies with, you know, a needle to the back of their head. I mean, I'm there. Me and my ghoulish morbidity, we're, we're up there. How bad could it honestly be? I say that famous last words. Um, <laughs> when we come back, when we have to get exercise, maybe we'll both end up in the haunted Warren Museum. Maybe we'll just both end up in exhibit <laughs> by the end of it. That's how bad it is. We are just now a haunted Warren exhibit. Well, at least they've got some cool stuff in the rest of the, the museum, like Annabelle and a music box. So we'll be entertained. <laughs> We'd be occupied. <laughs> We'd be occupied. Oh, no. Oh, no. Bathsheba, please don't haunt us. So this week's Learn from the Best. Read House of Darkness, House of Light by Andrea Power. Correcting the Conjuring House History by Kenny Biddle. Watch The Innocence. So a woman named Miss Gid... Kittens wins the role of governess in a Victorian home. Despite her lack of expertise, the owner, an uncle of two children, would rather travel and fraternize than care for his niece and nephew. Um, Miles and Flora are uh, orphans who were left in their uncle's care when they were just infants. Now, Miss Giddens tends to the children unaware of a supernatural force that may or not may not be influencing her charges. It's based on the Henry James novel, The Turn of the Screw, and this 1961 adaption um, represents some of the finest psycho-horror storytelling to date. It's finely acted, early unequivocal, and it's um, no doubt the inspiration behind things like The Innocence and The Others. Ooh, that sounds great. Um, also, watch uh, American Horror Story, The Murder House. <gasps> yes! Oh, that's, that's actually my favorite series, that and Coven. Agreed. So this week's Obscure Film Club, we have Ghost Story from 1981, Superstition from 1982, The Echo from 2004, and The Innocence. I'm making a note of all of those, and I'm going to get watching from tonight, starting with Ghost Story. Thank you so much, Jess, for taking us through The Conjuring. It is a it's a fantastic film, but it's it's interesting to note it's it runs quite parallel to um amityville horror doesn't it for the did it really happen or has it been made up yeah it seems to be a bit of a theme either way it's still a great story um it would be disappointing if it was made up but a great movie a great story yeah it was a hell of a lot of fun to research thank you very much to, li- to listening to me ramble on for the past uh, like an hour and a half on um ghosts and spooky shit it was fun it was so much fun, and it makes me want to watch The Conjuring again. I'm so excited for, for Conjuring 3. Oh, my goodness. Can't wait. I can't. Oh, we should do a watch party. <gasps> Guys, why don't we all, by June, plan a watch party to all watch on one night, choose a night, have a bit of a party, watch The Conjuring 3? Let's do it. I'm let's up for do that. it. Yeah, yeah, let's plan it. <gasps> yes. Yay. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much, um, and yeah. Good night, heathens. Good night, heathens.